Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, a wealth advisor for Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also service clients in Benita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is Joaquin El Toro, CEO of the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority. Governor Tony Evers appointed Joaquin as WIDA's CEO and Executive Director in June 2019, a former Vice President of Commercial Banking for Town Bank in Milwaukee and a thought leader on economic development for underserved communities. Joaquin brings some 30 years of experience in both residential and commercial lending to his work. He also serves on several national boards, including the Executive Committee of the National Council of State Housing Agencies, the Community Investment Advisory Council for the Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago, and the Consumer Advisory Board of the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Welcome to the show, Joaquin. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. And, uh, you know, all of those really impressive positions sound great. But the fact that I was in the same introduction as Winkies, I love it. (laughs) As as most do and should. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, You know, so let's, we can just get right to it. Let's do it. So, so much of the work that WIDA does, I think is people aren't fully aware of what the work is that you do, how you serve the communities that are currently underserved. So why don't you kind of give us the background on this? Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's funny because even when Governor Evers appointed me to this position, I thought I knew what WIDA does. And uh, most the, the, the number one thing that I hear from people as I travel the state and they say WIDA, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, oh, I got my first home or I bought my first home with a WIDA loan or my, my child, my daughter, my cousin. And so that's one of the things that we're known for is that we, we, we help people some way in purchasing a home. But, you know, I, I, I'm getting really good at doing like the two minute, a three minute, might be more like five minute elevator speech of WIDA. But, you know, again, the name is the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority. But you can kind of almost think of us as a bank, quasi-governmental bank. The good thing about it is that we, we use no state tax dollars. Uh, we are self-generating uh, the revenues that we make uh, off of uh, our interest income, off of fees that we charge. That's, you know, just like a bank does. That's the way that we, uh, we move forward. But, you know, there's, I would say there's three or four things that we really do. First and foremost, uh, we provide money to banks. And what they do is they use those dollars to help first-time home buyers buy their first-time home. Uh, and what's, what's special about that loan is the fact that it's a uh, very low down payment. It is a really aggressive, really nice interest rate. And then it comes with something that is really important, which is uh, down payment assistance uh, that's uh, included uh, above and beyond the loan itself. Because research has shown that the younger our demographic is, 
the less they are saving. And I think that probably, you probably know a little bit about that, Heather. We're seeing that uh, folks are not saving like they used to. Uh, and so that is in direct impact to your listeners, uh, either them and or their children. If they're looking to think about buying a home, uh, that's a reality is that down payment assistance is something that's really important. We know that sometimes families can help their kids, but sometimes wealth isn't there within the families. And that's not just for those that are low income. We're seeing that uh, now over the generations that even middle income families, because of everything that's happening and the change in behavior of savings is that down payments uh, are not there. The other thing we do is we administer tax credits and these tax credits, what they do is they provide equity for people to build uh, developers, to build multifamily rental uh, buildings. What's the key about these, these buildings is that since we provide these tax credits and it provides equity, which is not debt, so there's no payment on that, is the fact that it allows people to, to uh, the developers to offer affordable rents. And the way that that affordable rent is determined is looking at kind of the average income of that area, of that county. And that obviously changes in the state of Wisconsin throughout the state of Wisconsin. And then lastly, there's the economic development side of what we do. And that economic development to us is supporting small businesses. And the question is, how do we do that? We don't lend directly to the small businesses. What we do is we work with banks. And so banks sometimes might get a little nervous in working with a, a startup business or a smaller business that might have some issues. They don't either have the collateral, the creditor, the character. Those are three words sometimes we know in our business. Uh, and so what we do is we come in and say, hey, bank, we'll do a loan guarantee so that you can get over the hump in, in working with them, or we'll participate with you. You do 50% of the loan, we'll do 50% of the loan. And so that it helps the bank kind of get over that, that uncomfort. And I don't blame banks because their responsibility is to their shareholders. And so they have to be successful. We don't want banks failing. And so, you know, uh, WIDA is here to really help and be that partner with banks and that. Uh, I will then kind of codify or quantify the numbers we do so that you can see that WIDA is a, a humongous player in the state of Wisconsin. First of all, WIDA, uh, banks kind of show kind of their strength and their might by their asset size. WIDA is about $3 billion in the, the size of our assets. In 2019, we did a half a billion dollars in first-time homebuyer loans, which was about 4,000 first-time homebuyers. That was one year. So imagine to remove, Heather, uh, WIDA from the, from the annals of history. You know, that would be kind of scary in knowing the type of impact that we do. For the tax credits, we do tens of millions of dollars that we lend for the construction lending. Uh, but on an annual basis, with all the tax credits we administer, it, we put about 5,000 new rental units in the market every year. And that's across the state, urban and rural. Uh, and then we do tens of millions of dollars in uh, loan guarantees and crop guarantees for agricultural loans and for small businesses also. So I'm hoping that I did a, a pretty good job of giving you an idea of like, what really does WIDA do? That was wonderful. I have so many different things I would love to dive really deep into. You know, you had mentioned how like having capital, having funds to buy a house, start a business, um, you know, build a property to help other people be housed that can be really challenging. And like you said, with even just consumer savings being down because spending has, has been up, savings is down. And also just people with debt, you know, whether that's following college or their children's college, or if it's following down from the economic crisis of 2008, where it mm -hmm. took a long time for certain people to 
be able to get out from underneath, you know, the, where they kind of fell, fell down and got kind of buried in either debt or, or had to spend down their savings. Yeah. If I may talk a little bit about just a home, a house, and you know, what we do is we think about, and especially today, uh, as I see you and you see me that we're in our homes, you know, where a lot of us are doing business from our home. And now we're starting to see significantly how much more important a home is to us. But we don't really, really understand a, a home from a, a wealth capacity and how it does significantly create wealth and maintain wealth, right? That's the biggest thing, right? It's like, it might be easy to make a dollar or two, but show me how you save it and how you maintain it. And a, a home is a, is, a, is a really good place to do that. And I think we got to get better at, at making sure that we are counseling and educating our people about a home and making sure they're making the right decisions. It's really hard though. Again, I, you heard me talk about down payments. Down payment is, you know, if, if one wants to, to take advantage of the best offer when it comes to loans out in the market, most cases people should be putting down about 20% of a, of a home. And if we look at some of the average prices of homes nowadays, we're starting with the word 200,000. And so, you know, 20% of 200,000 is a significant amount of, of money for most people to be able to save. Now, there are mortgage loans that provide uh, the ability for one to put less, less dollars down as a down payment. But then guess what? You got to give something or take something to give something else up. And so what ends up happening is either sometimes the interest rate is higher or you pay something called PMI, private mortgage insurance, which adds to your monthly payment, right? Uh, and so it's, it, is, it is tough, uh, but there, there's this reality of the fact that if one can understand how much can they afford for a home, kind of the, I would say the general consensus is that 30% of your, of your monthly income should be about what you are paying for your mortgage payment. Uh, but if you can figure out what you can afford for a home, and you can maintain that payment for some time going, you know, then you eventually will create that equity in a house that who knows what you do with in the, in the future. Is it you sell that home and then use it to buy something else? Uh, do you use it to finance uh, education? I mean, there's just so many things that are done, but I think we need to think differently about uh, how a house is used and how it does maintain and create wealth. For WIDA, we play mostly in a space and place in people that are either first-time homebuyers or people that are on the low or middle income area. They call it, we in, in banking, we call it low and moderate income. And so what we do is we look at the, the area median income. And then what we do is we work with people that are usually at 80%, uh, not all cases, but most times at 80% or lower than that area median income. Uh, we do work with people up to 100%. Uh, and, and if you look at some of the area median incomes for Wisconsin, many of the counties, it has been dropping over the last 10 years since the recession. So that's the unfortunate thing is that uh, there have been a good amount of people that have been doing well since the recession, but there are a lot of folks that, that are the have-nots. And, and the question is, how do we get to a position of parity or equitable uh, treatment and making sure that we can help them live in homes and help them increase kind of their, their wealth position? Oh, absolutely. I think that is really important as well and, and really great work. We'll be right back after a short break.
Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor with Ella Becker Investment Group. And my guest today is Joaquin El Toro, CEO of Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority. So Joaquin, you know, I was hoping to talk to you about some of the financial challenges and opportunities for people of color and underserved communities. If you could share some of your insights and how WIDA helps those communities. Yeah, I, I appreciate the question. So I had mentioned to you that WIDA kind of, in most cases, is working with and providing resources to those that are on the, the lower spectrum of the income levels. And so what that means is either we're providing uh, tax credits for folks to build buildings that provides affordable rent. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, home ownership. Uh, when we're playing in the space of the lower spectrum of income, we're then playing in space of disparities, right? And that is something that what we're seeing through all of everything that when we watch the news, when we're reading articles on social media, the issues around disparities, then it then leads us into the conversation about racial, uh, the racial disparities. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, in the state of Wisconsin, we're the third worst state uh, in the nation when it comes to the disparity between white homeownership and then homeownership of African-Americans and Latinos. And why, why should we care about that? Why is that something that's important? Well, the, the truth is, and there are studies that show that all boats rise when we see the communities uh, that are suffering with poverty, when we see an increase in their income, we see that there's an increase in many things amongst all communities. And so I think it's really important for WIDA to make sure that when we're working forward to, to having our commitment towards racial disparities is that we can't be shy about talking about it. We got to make sure that that this is something that we know uh, that it's disparity. And I'm beginning to say this more is we got to get past the, the shock of disparity, right? I, I just gave you uh, one of those uh, examples of the fact that we're the third worst in the nation. It's, it is shocking. Um, it's unfortunate. But the question is, how do we get past that conversation? And how do we start really dealing with some of these racial disparities? One of the things that we're doing, uh, a few things that we're, we're working on at, uh, at WIDA, I, I gave you those numbers, right? Half a billion dollars, 4,000 first-time homebuyers. The, mm-hmm. the truth is we're, the numbers that we're putting out is it, a, a significant amount of those are not buyers of color. And so we're, we're deep into our research and really trying to understand what does WIDA need to do to make sure that we get better at this. Uh, recently, I moderated a, a conversation, a nationwide conversation with some of the nation's foremost experts around disparities in communities of color and home ownership. And there was a study done by the Urban Land Institute about some of the, the barriers uh, for, uh, for folks to being for purchasing a home. Number one was down payment assistance. And to me, I'm like, okay, so that's the number one issue. Guess what WIDA has? That's one of our carrots is down payment yeah. assistance. Like right off the bat, we should be successful at, at getting more communities of color involved in, in home ownership, but it's obviously never that ish, that easy. Uh, there's uh, the, the number two was qualification. And qualification, there are obviously uh, guidelines in the way that one gets qualified for a loan. That's much more difficult to be able to, to get at, especially for WIDA, because you know, like most banks, uh, we package our loans and we sell them off. And these loans have to be uniform in the way that they're underwritten. And those uniform g- underwriting guidelines, those guidelines have a direct impact on those that are being approved. It's, a, it's difficult for we to get at, but it's something that I'm personally working on with my representation on the uh, NCSHA, you had mentioned that the organization at a national level. Uh, the next one, uh, which is really important, and this one right here, 
I think is something that uh, I know that we're going to work on, but not only in communities of color, because we're seeing the same type of disparities in rural communities that are majority white. Like the hurt is real in rural communities, as you would see in communities of color, is the fact that we need to see more HUD approved home buying counselors. And what that does is that folks know maybe that they want to buy a house. The question is how and who and what do I need to do? And what kind of credit score do I need? And do I need money? And do I need a real term? What's an offer to purchase? I can go right down the line, right? And homebuyer counseling agents uh, are, the, are a game changer. And so if you were to Google right now, HUD, H-U-D, HUD approve homebuyer counselors, and you look in the state of Wisconsin, there's really not a lot. Since the recession, a significant amount of them have disappeared. Um, and we need to be an active participant uh, in making sure that we increase the number of home buyer counseling agents. Uh, that is going to be something that's important. And that is something that we are working internally to see how do we do that in partnering with the right partners throughout the state, and especially in communities that have a significant higher uh, density of people of color, because we need to make sure that we're holding the hands and we're helping people through that process. Uh, because you could imagine that generationally, if, if mom or grandfather didn't own, own a home, that, that knowledge doesn't get passed down and we need to make sure to do that. Another way that I want to let you know uh, that that is important, and this ties a little bit into our, our conversation, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit later, is the way that WIDA generates our dollars to, to put out. How do you think we get a half a billion dollars to be able to, to put into housing, uh, to home ownership, or to build uh, uh, housing? What we do is we sell bonds. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and this is all about investment. And you and I touched on it a little bit, but there is a paradigm shift now as to how people are thinking about their investments. And I think that's something that people should really wonder is the fact that if you're sitting here listening and saying, you know what, I I hear about these disparities and I hear, Wida, what you're doing, but how can I be helpful? What can I do if I care about some of the social injustices? Well, if you go into a, a highly... Uh, impoverished areas, there's issues with education. There's need for finance there. There's investment that happens. School systems put out bonds. Uh, If you think about uh, infrastructure, streets, if you think about housing, uh, bonds are put out there. You know, people that are listening can say and talk to their wealth advisor and say, I want to make an investment, but what are the opportunities and where can I make the investments when it comes to social impact investing? That is a word and a really important word. Or look something else up. It's called ESG investing. And that stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance investing, which is really thinking differently about investing. And I see you smiling, Heather. I know. What are you thinking about? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, this is you know something that is very near and dear to my heart as well. In fact, just this year, I achieved my uh, chartered social responsible investing counselor designation, mm-hmm. my CSRIC, where I learned about the history of just that social responsible investing, environmental, social governance um, criteria when it comes to building your portfolio. And it is important in a way, remove some of the risk of your portfolio because you're getting ahead of some of the different regulations. You're getting ahead of some of the different trends that may be coming down the line. But it's also just knowing that you're doing something 
that's important to you and you're following your value structure, you want to help other people, you can do that. You know, we talk about, you know, small business Saturday and support small restaurants. Well, you can go deeper than that too. Yes. Uh, can I say amen? Yeah. Uh, amen, sister. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know it, it is important. So I think right past March uh, when everything was shutting down and people were nervous and didn't know what was going on. And we, uh, we took our employees uh, fully telecommute it was really, really tough times. And it was scary times for a lot of folks. Uh, but we had to finance uh, a very large uh, bond offering to fund our housing. Uh, and this is very important housing. You know, you already heard me speak about that. And, and we were really nervous to put our, our offering out there because when you looked at everything that was happening in the market, everything was depressed. Things weren't happening. People weren't investing. It was kind of scary. What we did is we put it out there on faith because of the fact that what we saw and, and, and know is that prior to that March is that housing is a very solid investment. It's paying back, uh, at least especially in the housing that we're in. And so when we put it out there, it, the, the investment went fast. The bonds sold quick and we were one of the first post-March uh, uh, in states and housing finance authorities is what we're called agencies is the fact that we were one of the first to get out there and, and sell it quick. And so I think people are understanding and knowing that it's a, it's a smart investment, uh, but that this is just what another way for you to have an impact uh, around racial disparities. Uh, and, and then I would say and quickly, the other way that what we're doing is we're thinking differently and those that own businesses this is a, a direct ask and plea to you, is that WIDA spends millions of dollars with vendors and with partners from toilet paper to attorney fees. We spend millions of dollars. And the question is, how do we have an impact, a higher impact in with small businesses and especially uh, businesses of color, uh, women-owned businesses and disabled veteran businesses? Those are three very important places for us that we have not been as successful as we wanted to be. And so we are now intentional about that. We've created an internal program and, and people understand it internally. Those that are do the purchasing understand that we can move the needle and really impact small business and impoverished areas by putting our money where our mouth is and in, in investing in those type of businesses. So I ask respectfully to your business owners that are listening, Heather, how are they spending their dollars with vendors? And please don't do what I was told when I first came into WIDA. We just can't find them. They exist. You just got to do a little bit of work. The state of Wisconsin uh, has a list through the Department of Administration. There's a lot of different uh, nonprofit organizations like WIBIC, which is a CDFI here, a community development financial institution that works with uh, these type of businesses. Uh, there's the North Central Minority Supplier Contractors. I hope I'm saying that right, but you can find it. It's a Google way that you can find these businesses that you can work with and really support. And MKE Black is another, there is actually they have a website and an app that's maybe to find more consumer spending, but also some services as well. Well, with that, we'll uh, just take a short break and we will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Joaquin El Toro from WIDA. So Joaquin, I was wanting to know more interest rate environment where loans are obviously very attractive to many people at the lower interest rates. I know, you know, there's been a lot of um, refinancing done, probably a lot more interest in, in buying homes. But then I was thinking on the flip side, that's where the banks may struggle because of lower revenue. So tell me some more about 
about the low interest rate environment, how you've seen that play out um, in your work with WIDA. Yeah. Think about the fact for you and I, for some time, interest rates have been low. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been in banking now uh, 30 years. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 29. I'll be entering my 30th <laughs> year. So let me not add an, another year. But I remember when I first started as a mortgage banker is that my boss gave me uh, an interest rate sheet from 1984. And it was from First Wisconsin. And the best interest rate that you could get at that time was like 18%. Mm-hmm. Mind you, now, I think if you look at the newspaper, I think the best interest rate you can get it on a 30-year uh, is like two point something, right? It's yeah. crazy. It's just crazy where we're at today. But we've been at this interest rate for some time now. So it's almost becoming the new normal. Like people don't really understand the fact that this rate is historically low, but we keep saying that, but guess what? This history has been repeating itself for some time now. I think almost since uh, recession, I think the rates maybe got as high as five and a half percent, but still, even at 5% rates are historically low, you know? Uh, So the the question is, how has that impacted home ownership? I, I mean, we've seen previously to COVID, we were seeing a very hot market little scary when we see a hot market, because what happens is obviously the supply lowers and so prices increase. Mm-hmm. And that gets a little scary for affordability, especially for the people that, that we represent. Uh, it gets very scary uh, because if one wants to buy and they can't afford, then they have to rent. Then how do we get out of this circle of folks, you know, improving their exact situation? Then there's this other situation is that uh, low interest rates, what it really has sparked in banks, and they've been so busy with it, it's been actually something different than home, than home buying loans and it's refinancing. Mm-hmm. Right now, banks have been so overwhelmed and overconsumed with refinancing loans is that home buying loans have not been at the top of, I think, their concentration. A lot of banks are doing it, but the truth is a majority of that uh, that time, that energy, efforts, marketing dollars, everything goes to refinancing. So that kind of impacts those buying houses. And then you overlay COVID with that and people aren't running to go look at houses. Uh, However, people are sitting in their house saying, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for me to to do a rehab. And so that's another form of refinancing, which then just layers onto, you call a a loan officer and say, I want to buy a house. They're not calling you as as fast or they're not answering the calls because everyone is refinancing. So we have seen this impact uh, the market itself in trying to get more done through through COVID. However, uh, the market still remains, I would say, healthy. Uh, We would like to see it get better. And I feel the time will come. I really think rates are going to stay low for some time. I don't have that crystal ball to tell you how much longer. But I just read an article again that they hit another new low. So if you're thinking about purchasing, get on it immediately. Um, I think the issue is not, you know, be ready for the reality that it's going to take a little bit of a time to get it done uh, because, you know, it's just a lot of business going through banks right now, which is slowing the process. However, I feel like the, the truth is the difficult part is it's just finding a house right now. Well, uh, at, the, at the price point you want in, you know, with some of the different amenities or the, you know, the structure that you want. I think that that is home buying um, probably has always been, but now even more so is an effort of patience. Yeah. You know, but I know that there's with knowing that rates are low now and when will they go back up? They're going to be low for quite some time. I think the Fed said they would be not raising their rate 
through the end of next year. So we hear different. I think that's definitely something that I can imagine people getting can get pretty disheartened when you're when you're the place you live and the place you work and your kids go to school and you, it's your gym. It's all under one roof, right? Oh, I mean, I'm you know we're looking around too, the same thing. And I can imagine for people that are itching to buy a house that that can be frustrating. Well, maybe we talk a little bit about that, about renting versus uh, versus ownership. And, you know, this is going to be really tough, right? Because I think it's it's not one size fits all. I will let you know is that I went to a uh, a conversation uh, some time ago, Janet Yellen, but I heard her speak and do a, a, a speech in a real small room about four or five years ago about how she was saying that millennials, because of what happened, uh, the recession and kind of this this negative sense of owning a home that millennials were at that point, were not buying homes. But I'll tell you the truth is that a good amount of our portfolio, when we did the research a couple of years ago, a good amount of that research was, was millennials. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think there's been a change in kind of that feeling and in knowing, and maybe even the pandemic kind of sped that up is that millennials are purchasing homes uh, at, at a much higher rate. Uh, and that's going to maybe change, change what's happening with the rental market also. But uh, there's this other, so many things that are affecting renting versus, versus home ownership. What we're seeing is an increase of people uh, moving back into cities. What happens with that is that we're seeing empty nesters and younger professionals not immediately purchasing homes. And so we're still seeing kind of the rental market in mm-hmm. a highly dense cities, still pretty hot. Uh, however, then we see kind of that middle range between young professionals and uh, empty nesters looking to purchase and getting back out to suburbs. Uh, it seems like the last couple folks that I've talked to uh, was younger families saying, hey, I'm going to buy in Brookfield, you know. Uh, and so it's interesting. It's like this change. That's the switch that's happening. Um, I don't see one happening more over the other. But I would say that the market right now is really helpful when it comes to interest rates. The other thing is, is that please keep in mind is that in most cases, most cases, I won't say all cases, um, and maybe even a very specific case to us, we were looking for a family that could show us kind of a specific example as to why housing was more beneficial for for them than renting. And we found ourselves a single mother in Milwaukee that went through our program and the WIDA program to purchase a home. And she was just so elated, uh, crying at the fact that she has her buying her first home. But the, the most important part to me was the fact that she was saving $300 a month by buying a home. That is May not sound like a lot for for most, but as a first time home buyer, for somebody that's first stepping in, for somebody that's saving that type of money and not paying, that's I think in a perfect example of where you can absolutely do that. So one can do the math to figure out I'm paying rent now uh, with all these expenses, and I'll if I pay a mortgage and put it over thirty years, twenty years, here's my payment. Which one makes sense? And you know that in a house you're going to be building. Uh, eventually that equity that could be a part of kind of your financial portfolio going forward. So, you know, renting, renting versus home ownership. Um, I, I, I sit in the middle because it really is where you are in your life, but there are particular cases, number one, where you can uh, make out better in, in owning than renting. Uh, but then I think on the other side on renting, there is kind of that benefit where I think people are like, I want to live in cities. I want to be closer to the culture, arts and culture and everything that's happening. And I don't want to own right now. So. Right. And if people want to be able to be more, uh, less tied down, more fluid, more transient, you know, cause that's the stage in their life that they're in, 
that makes sense. Um, if you're not ready to buy a house, that's that's not going to be the best move for you. But I think that if you see the bigger picture and and like you had mentioned previously, you know, it's home ownership is one of the main ways for generational wealth. Yes. So it's it's that balance there between say lifestyle and then kind of future life. Heather, I would ask though if, if one if let's say a younger family, a younger couple, a younger person says, you know what, right now I don't want to buy, I want to rent. I would hope that they are thinking about investment tools to be able to save money for down payment. Um, and I think that's where you and professionals like you can really be, really help people think about that. Like get yourself in line and ready for the fact that that it, it's just going to be so much more helpful if you can come in with some dollars. And even if you put something away while you're renting, those dollars will be so much more helpful for you when you eventually buy Absolutely. a house. Absolutely. You know, it might not be their short-term goal. It might not be, I want to buy a house in two years, but it might be, I want to buy a house in 10 years. So we have to figure out how do you get from here to 20% of that house payment in the next say 10 years. Agreed. And that's going to be the easier way to do it than wait until it's only two years away or you decide, you know, you want to have that home. You want to have the garden. You want to start your family in a house that, that your kids will grow up in. Let's take another short break. And then when we get back, I'd like to hear a bit about your tips on managing personal financial health. We will take a short break. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Joaquin El Toro from Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority. So Joaquin, let's talk a bit about personal financial health. You know, we work with our clients at Ellen Becker all the time about cash flow and short-term goals and long-term goals and managing debt and managing spending and saving, setting a course for the future. So as you and WIDA do your work, how do you help people in those aspects as well? Yeah, if, if I may t- talk about just a few of the things, we talk a little bit about, you know, a little advice around home ownership and then a little bit of advice for small businesses. I think both of them, uh, after 30 years, you see enough that you just, you want to scream from the top of the mountains and give people kind of the secrets, the inside secrets or as young folks call them, the hacks to being successful. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with on the home ownership side. I think number one is, and this might be the most obvious is, your credit. And there's a couple things happening here. I think we really want folks, uh, let's say folks that are building and starting their credit, the credit score is get your hands around that, really understand it. And here's the interesting part is that uh, I'm 46 years old. And I remember when I first was learning about credit myself in my late teens, uh, the credit scoring system was like this enigma. It was this mystery. And today it's not anymore. Like there are apps safe apps that you can get on that you can watch your credit score that will give you advice on how to build your credit. There is so much information about it today that I am ridiculously jealous at the fact that I had to guess and, and win and lose when it came to credit scores. And so it's really important that you get a, a, a healthy understanding. Now, don't, don't obsess over it because people can obsess over it and it'll drive you crazy. I want a particular credit score number. But if you know that there is that you're going to be needing to use your score in the future, it's not difficult for you to, to learn and understand the secrets of credit. It is effectively, it's transparency has, has been released to us. And to me, that's one of the greatest things that, that is out there. And it's one of the things that I, 
I discuss with my millennial daughter and making sure that she understands her credit around that. Uh, well, and just making sure that you're aware of yes. how your actions, you know, today and tomorrow are affecting, you know, longer term goals. Yeah, it's true. So there are folks that, that think I don't need credit. I won't use credit until I really absolutely need it. And that's not the case. As an early person dipping into credit, you should be building your, your credit uh, and that doesn't mean you have to take on a ton of debt, but there's ways to pull on a credit card. And, and let's say you charge your groceries, but you pay it off immediately in the, within the 30 days before you pay interest on it. That's mm-hmm. essentially how a credit card gonna, is going to work, but builds credit. Because what happens is three things that you get a, a lot of points for. Number one is making sure you pay on time every month, pay on time every month. But number two is uh, the fact that uh, is that you are that you are keeping your your debt down as a percentage of what you got for the credit limit. So if your credit limit on your card is uh, 10,000 and you're only, you're paying it off every month or you're keeping a low balance, that that's important. And then the third one is just the the length of the time that you've had credit. And so all of those really are, are important to you. Uh, job time, uh, job, we look at, at how long you've been working and the consistency of one one that's working. And so it's gonna be weird in these really weird times uh, it's going to be really tough for people that are, are have been laid off or are really trying to get back. We got a, a Milwaukee is a city uh, and the surrounding area. Let's say the metro area is a city where we have a lot of people that work in the service industry. And if they're looking to purchase a home right now, it may be difficult for them because banks are going to want to see consistency. Uh, and so they're going to have to make sure they get back into work and start building their credit and show that they're, they're going to be consistent. Uh, but most banks, what we do is in the mortgage side, we try to look at almost two years of history. Uh, yes, you can change jobs. Hopefully when you're changing them, that income you're making is the same or more. But what we want to see is consistency in that. We talked about down payment. That's something that's important. Continue to save and save early around that. But I think those are our areas when it comes to your wealth. Oh, the other thing I think that's important is we want to know that you actually have a savings. And it actually goes into the calculation for one to get uh, approved is, uh, do you have money saved? Do you have money saved in retirement? You know, so we call them non-liquid funds because you can't get them right away. And so if you are starting out right now uh, and you're like, God, do I really need this? Yes. Think about that because the fact that you can show that you're saving and you have these funds, it helps us know that worst comes to worst and you can't make a mortgage payment that maybe you can dip into even those those retirement funds, you have that ability or, you know, liquid funds, which are the checking accounts and the savings accounts and CDs and stuff like that. So that's another thing that it's important is that you're building up uh, uh, through your investments and through your savings, you're building up your own personal uh, net worth. And that's something that's going to be important in purchasing a home. Um, On the small business side, I had the privilege of of being a business banker for many, many years. Uh, And the one thing that uh, always was difficult uh, when businesses came in to finance something is that uh, I think they came in not prepared. And so what I would recommend is if you, as a small business, know that you have to finance something, let's see, it's equipment, you want to purchase a building, you want to get more employees. If you as a business wants to finance something, you should make it a little extra plan around that. And what I mean is if you have yourself an accountant that is doing your taxes, and if you don't, let's say you do your own taxes and you're fine with that, you should still find a professional, an accountant of some sort of CPA and say this to them, say, hey, um, I'm thinking on financing and lending some dollars for me to finance a particular purpose. What 
does the next year have to look like? What expenses do I need to take down? Or what kind of money do I need to make for me to be able to finance this? What's good about that is that you're already preparing your business and you're already preparing the model and the way you do your business and preparing it for debt. And I think that's really, really important because you'd be surprised the amount of small business owners that really don't have a handle on their own finances, their taxes, uh, and their accounting. And sometimes that's okay. And what, when that's okay is because you have somebody else that you trust, either a professional that's doing that for you, hopefully that they're explaining to you as much as you need to know. Uh, some of us, there's small business owners that say, hey, I'm really good at banging this, this hammer or making this taco. It doesn't matter. But you still got to make sure that you have a handle of your kind of your financial portfolio. And when you do that, uh, and you, you include kind of your, your accountant or your CPA and saying, I want to take on debt. Is my business ready for it now? Or what is, does my business need to look like? Then when you approach a bank, you have so much more power to say, hey, I'm making this X amount of dollars. I know I can afford this amount of debt. Uh, look at my, my taxes. It just puts you so much more ahead so that uh, you're not turned down immediately. You're taking seriously. You're coming with the right documentation. And then you understand the impact of, of debt. I, I just think it happens the other way around where businesses go to a bank and say, I want to lend X amount of dollars. And then all of a sudden uh, the, the company, the bank's asking for all kinds of documentation that either you don't know what it is, you don't know where it's at. And then they have to do kind of the, the calculations for you. You should be doing that in advance so that you're prepared. I think that's some of the best advice that I could give. And when I've done that, it's changed the game for a lot of small business. What do you think about that, Heather? Well, that's exactly what's so important about the whole financial picture is planning yeah. and building your team. Like you had mentioned, going to the CPA, going to the, you know, the bookkeeping accountant. Um, you mentioned the HUD approved counselors that, yeah. you know, those are coaches. That's yes. a team, you know, at Allen Becker, we work with our clients, you know, we're, we're their financial advisor and we help with that kind of planning for the, for the long-term, the midterm and the near-term as well. And I think that is just very important in all these aspects that you mentioned too, in these other ways. Yeah. So. And people have to know that that counseling and that help is there. Sometimes people are nervous about doing it. Uh, but if you can reach out and find the right folks to be able to, to help you through these processes, it's amazing. These counselors, these folks, this is either why they get paid to do it. Like that's their specific laser focused purpose and using them for that purpose as a part of your team. It just, I think increases your chances of real successful financial portfolio yourself. Absolutely. Well, Joaquin, this was wonderful. I thank you so much for all the insights and information that you shared. You can definitely see the passion and expertise and the real heart that you have for the work. So I really appreciate the work you do on behalf of WIDA for our communities, for our state, and for our culture. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me share this with your listeners. And I, I really look forward to folks continually supporting WIDA and whatever efforts we do, because we're out there working very hard in places and spaces uh, that not many uh, folks are, uh, but we do it with confidence and we do it with passion. So thank you. Yeah. And what's a way that we could reach out to find more? 
So there is WIDA, WIDA, W-H-E-D-A.com. On there, uh, you can find everything from the way that we help small businesses. We have information as to how to find these counselors for home buying, uh, the banks that we partner for the WIDA loan, or if you're just having problems as a renter and your landlord is giving you problems, we have so much information on our website. So please start there and, and it'll get you to the right people at WIDA uh, or the partners that we work with. That's great. Thank you again, Joaquin. And don't forget, Money Sense airs Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and Sundays from 12 to 1 p.m. And as always, we hope that we've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.